This is episode 207 of Alohomora for November 26, 2016. everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Alohomora, formerly, uh, or previously, rather, uh, MuggleNet.com's global reread of the Harry Potter series. And now we are, as you know, a topic-based discussion podcast. I'm Kat Miller. I'm Allison Sigurd. And this week, our guest is Jess. Welcome, Jess. Hi, Allison. Hi, Kat. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners... How you got into Potter, your Hogwarts house, your Ilvermorny house, your Patronus, all that good stuff. Um, well, I got into Potter, I think a pretty sort of common story for people my age um, growing up with it. So I think I was seven when the first two books were out and we got them for Christmas, me and my brother. And then I read the first one and he was never allowed his copy back because so, I wanted to hoard them. <laughs> um, and yeah, just grew up with the series that way. Um with you know kind of growing up with Harry which I think is is pretty common um and it's always been a part of my life that's why you know I've got my Harry Potter tattoo and went and saw Fantastic Beasts when it came out a few days ago so yeah um big Potter fan for most of my life um Hogwarts house I am a Slytherin and I've always been yes I know um you know Pottermore confirmed never been any doubts I am definitely a Slytherin um and my Ilvermorny house is wampus, but that means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it means nothing to us, too, so that's okay. Um, I'm curious what part of Slytherin you most identify with. Um, probably the, like, think on your feet, more cunning side. I like to think of Slytherins as, you know, the street smart to Ravenclaw's book smart. Um, and that's, that's kind of the side I relate to, you know, the, the more cunning, think on your feet um hustle side I guess is what you what you would call it (laughs) I dig it no I like that I like that comparison because I often find those two houses go together um you know and I'm not just talking about myself I'm talking about in general I meet a lot of Ravenclaw Slytherins so that's cool I like that what did uh what'd you think of Fantastic Beasts without spoilers don't worry listeners no spoilers on today's episode hopefully um I cried a few times so I think that pretty much sums it up (laughs) <laughs> Did Allison feelings. pay you to say that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had Don't want to be alone in the crying. The moments that we cried in and how sad we are yeah. as adult women crying <laughs> in movie theater. No, not sad. You should be proud. Yes, very proud. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll tell myself that the I next guess... time I go and see it and start crying again. <laughs> Uh, you should. You yeah. should. Uh, by opening day, I had already seen it three times, and uh, I still got teary. So I understand. Truly, I do. I didn't cry, but I was very close. <laughs> I was very close. Yeah, uh, I, I broke down during the credits, so. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because our discussion this week is kind of apropos for the Fantastic Beasts stuff uh, that we just learned in the new film, because our discussion this week is on Albus Percival Wolfric, Brian, Dumbledore. However, as I did say, no spoilers. So we actually are going to do our darndest to avoid all of the topics and uh, any suggested theories or 
basically anything having to do with Dumbledore in Fantastic Beasts, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, one, maybe some of you out there still haven't seen the movie. And two, we think that that's an entirely separate episode. So we're going to save that for later. But I will put out kind of a blanket spoiler warning because we are going to do our best. But, you know, sometimes things slip. We're not perfect. We can't help it. But this week, before we get started on talking and avoiding spoilers, we want to thank our Patreon sponsor, which this week for this episode is Lauren Sinclair. So thank you so much, Yay. Lauren. Yay! <laughs> Customary claps. You two listeners can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month. Uh, and we continue to release exclusive tidbits for our sponsors. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash alohomora. And we decided this super cool new perk, uh, which, you know, it's funny. I haven't looked to see if anybody has claimed it yet, but Michael is so graciously donating in his time, and he will read a chapter of Harry Potter to you in The Voices. So you can sit <gasps> on Skype or Google Hangouts. I know. And, uh, and you could Ooh. listen to Michael read Harry Potter. Uh, whatever chapter, if it's just you. If it's just one person, then you get to pick. Um, you know, he'll he'll pick otherwise. Uh, but it's really cool. It's only $15 a month, which, you know, Michael gets most of that money himself, and the rest goes back into the show because he is donating a lot of time and stuff. So go check that out. Uh, I feel like I am probably going to do that perk for the month of December because Michael Harley time is always a good time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go wrong? sign up for that one too. But for now, I guess we will jump into our discussion on Professor Dumbledore. And as we always do, we like to, um, you know, kind of give our overall impressions and then some focus questions. Because I feel like Dumbledore is one of those people we could have like a week-long discussion on. Because there's so many aspects of his personality and uh, kind of his arc before, after, and, you know, and during the, the novels. So, Al... What uh, what do you want to explore on Dumbledore today? I am looking at Dumbledore as the archetype of the mentor. Um, hmm. That's kind of the, the role he fills, especially if we're thinking about Harry Potter in the sense of the hero's journey cycle and um, the hero's journey archetype, which it fits very, very well. Um, and so the way she's used... Dumbledore has this kind of archetypal mentor, but she's made him more multi-layered than that. So I want to look at how he's still fitting while kind of subverting the archetype. And that's perfect because mine is basically the exact opposite. And I want to look at Dumbledore's human side and the side that makes him uh, less so this grand wizard that everybody looks up to and wants to be and wants to take after. But this very, really human and very real and personable character that we can all relate to in some way. So that should be fun. Jess, what do you think about Dumbledore? What are your thoughts? Well, um, what I want to explore this episode is just Dumbledore, um, Dumbledore's goodness and is he a, a good person? And um, are his actions towards Harry justified in the, the greater context of, of ethics and in the story itself? Oh, boy. That's a deep one. That's going to mm. be fun. <laughs> it's yeah. a multi-part episode. 
<laughs> yeah, very much. Wow. Yeah. I feel like we picked three of the biggest parts of Dumbledore's personality. <laughs> okay, uh, we will try to keep this to some sort of reasonable length here. And I guess dive right in. So I figured we'll go over just two very small, you know, kind of important facts about Dumbledore. For those of you that don't know, he was born in 1881. We don't know the exact month or day, but um, the lexicon guests um, either July or August of that year. So he's a summer baby. July or August of 1881 is when he was born. And as we all know, he died in May of 1997, which was in Half-Blood Prince. Uh, before he was a headmaster at Hogwarts, he was a transfiguration teacher, and he did get to the school sometime before 1938, because that is the year that Slughorn started. So, if you think about the timeline of the new things that we're in, it totally makes sense, because Fantastic Beasts takes place in 1926, and yes, no spoilers, but Dumbledore starts at uh, Hogwarts 12 years after that, so... He, he's already at Hogwarts by that point, right? Because of things that happened that were in the trailer. So can we just say them? Um, well, there's mention of Albus being a teacher at, um, or yes. on a first name basis, Albus, um, of being at Hogwarts um, in the movie. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. Because, hmm. Right, because uh, the lexicon doesn't know, uh, and I trust the lexicon over absolutely everything other than <laughs> Joe, Joe herself. Lexicon didn't have an exact start date. They did say sometime before 1938. So, right. Huh. So, he'd been there probably for at some time, I would assume. But... By 1925, hmm. 24, um, if you consider that Newt was out and about for a year before the books, or the movie starts. Um, so, he's been there since at least then but it sounds like he almost didn't have enough sway yet right um, he leaves he um leaves hogwarts in 1899 so he would have been 17 in 1899 17 or 18 depending on when he was born um so yeah i don't know how soon after one graduates they would hire at hogwarts but he could be there by the 20s for sure we we kind of already touched on this. Well, I, I mean, I alluded to it. The uh, We brought up Joe already. And Joe has said many, 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 many times that she is Dumbledore and Dumbledore is her. And so I thought this would be a really fun place for us to start. Because what does what does that mean for Dumbledore's arc? And what do we learn about Joe through Dumbledore? I feel like that is such, uh, it's such a, I don't want to, I, I don't know if the word is brave, but uh, bold thing. Bold? Yeah, for an author to say, like, I am this person and this person is me. What? How do you guys feel about that? I, I think it's, it helps explain the feeling we get sometimes that Dumbledore's playing puppet master. Mm. Um, because if you think of Joe as obviously writing, manipulating, figuring out what's happening through all of this. If she's equating herself with Dumbledore, then that gives us, a, maybe that's why we get the feeling sometimes that Dumbledore knows more than he lets on or he allows things to happen. Um, because then he's almost the author of this whole 
scheme that's going on. Um, and so the, it's, it's an interesting line to cross. It's almost, it's not like self-insertion, but almost like self-insertion into your own work um, from a writing point of view, where he almost becomes this, he becomes a character in the story, but he also becomes the one writing the story. So he like crosses this weird fuzzy line um, or he creates this weird fuzzy line where you're not quite sure sometimes, sometimes he's wholly just the character. Sometimes you feel like he's not. And it's, it, it makes for an interesting kind of view of who he is. I think, um, do we have any, I know she said it a few times, but do we have any kind of greater context into as to uh, like the time she said it because it is oh, a really sort um, of heavy thing to to not say that I can think I w- of off the top of my head you know like you guys said a bold thing to say and I wonder if she she says it somewhat like flippantly or lightly as in you know she is the puppet master that controls all the characters and um she's just kind of making that um link to her and Dumbledore somewhat lightly because if she does mean it quite genuinely and sincerely um, that's, that's quite a, you know, we know that Dumbledore's quite a dark character and that's a pretty heavy thing to, to throw out into the world. So I wonder if there's, there's really much depth to that, that quote, um, or whether it's something she just says to be funny. Uh, she just says, uh, does Dumbledore speak for you? And she says, oh yes, very much so. Dumbledore often speaks for me. Okay, before that she says, I find that all the time in the book, if you need to tell your reader something, just put it in her. She's talking about Hermione. Um, One is Hermione, the other is Dumbledore. In both cases, you accept it's plausible that they have, well, Dumbledore knows pretty much everything anyway, but that Hermione has read it somewhere. Okay, so she kind of refers, she's sort of making that um, analogy and that she uses them for, um, like, you know, the anything that needs to be told but can't really be shown, I guess. But the wording of that is interesting because she's answered that question, but then she says, does Dumbledore speak for you? She says, oh yes, very much so. Dumbledore often speaks for me. So then we have to ask ourselves, is Dumbledore a legitimate character? Is he somebody who we can look at as anybody other than the author? I mean... Uh, that such it sets such a, a weird precedent. If Dumbledore knows all and is all and speaks for Joe, mm. <laughs> yeah. I think he... I, I like to picture him and Joe, you know, I very much believe in the theory that Joe was picked to write this and it's a biography, you know, of Harry's no. <laughs> And uh, I like I like to picture her and Dumbledore sitting at, you know, a, a coffee uh, in a coffee shop together or at a desk in her office or something. And, and he's telling her all about the story. Uh, granted, he's dead. So maybe she's talking to his portrait. I don't know. Or maybe she's talking to Harry. I don't know. But uh, I very much subscribe to that that theory because how else does she know all this stuff because <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously very real <laughs> but yeah that is um that is an interesting sort of um, analogy she makes but to me it kind of reads more like um she uses them as 
an excuse to maybe be a bit not lazy with our writing but I'm sure if you know if you've ever written something you've got to sort of wedge a piece of information in there and there's not just a way that it flows so she kind of banks that the the reader will assume oh well they know everything so that's how it kind of reads to me since we're on the vein of of joe and things that she has and hasn't told us and all that there and allison you brought this up when you were looking up that quote um the most of the stuff when you look up jk rowling and or dumbledore is you get all the stories about when she announced uh, at the event that uh dumbledore was gay and so I feel like we would be remiss not to talk about that, at least briefly, and why we think, besides the obvious reason that who cares, it doesn't matter, doesn't change his character in any way, he is who, who, you know, who he will always be, regardless if he's gay or not, why that wasn't either said outright or made more apparent or, you know, any, any of those things, why she felt the need, I guess, to say it if it wasn't in the novels um again besides the obvious because obviously you know uh diversity and inclusion and all of that is incredibly important but what do you guys you have thoughts yeah see this is um what sort of frustrates me as a as a reader um particularly as a gay reader is that i think that it, it does matter to his character particularly in his development with grindelwald because if you know, if it really was a matter of, well, it, it doesn't matter to the story, then that's absolutely fine. But it, it did have a tangible impact on the story, on Dumbledore's um, behaviour with Grindelwald, and then that carries through to his adult life and the way he acts with Harry and the way he carries himself. Um, because the reason, at least from my understanding of, you know, what Joe's told us post-books, um, is that the reason he was so, you know, infatuated with, with Grindelwald was because he was you know, he was either in love or, or lust with him. Um, and that's one of the reasons he was so susceptible to, to these ideas and the reason he was so badly hurt by Grindelwald um, with the whole situation with Ariana is because he was in love with him. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think the, the reason she didn't tell us is just because she, A, it wouldn't have been acceptable at the time, um, and B, maybe... Uh, more narrowed view of what was important to a character and their development um, and what she thought a, a large children's base would be ready for. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what particularly frustrates me is that I do think it, it's important to his character. Like if someone said that, I don't know, <laughs> Crab was gay, it's like, yeah, that probably doesn't need to be included because I do well actually it may explain why he follows Draco Malfoy around but you know if that was <laughs> you know what I mean like if it wow. had really no impact on the story I'd, I'd be much more easy to forgive it um but it does just really kind of needle at me a bit because I think it it is important to his backstory um and I think that would have been an interesting and brave thing for her to explore particularly you know I totally and wholeheartedly agree with that in a lot of ways and um, in everything that you said, why she should include it and why she probably didn't. And I also get excited, and again, no spoilers here, keeping this very generic, but I think we're going to get to explore that in Fantastic Beasts. You know, it hasn't been confirmed where the story is mm-hmm. going, although everybody can pretty much assume that it, the last movie is going to end up in 1945 with Dumbledore fighting Grindelwald. That's 
probably where it's going from all the interviews and everything you've seen. That's not spoilers, guys. That's all out in the world. It's all there. <laughs> and um, I do remember, I believe it was at one of the round tables that I attended at Press Week. Um, one of the other outlets I was with asked the David, so David Yates and David Heyman, is Dumbledore going to be gay when we see him? Because we will see, this is definitely a spoiler, so you should skip forward 20 seconds or so if you don't want to hear the next part. Uh, I'll give you a second. Okay, so Dumbledore is definitely in the second movie. That's been totally confirmed. And they said no comment. So I don't know what that means. I don't know. It's not going to be like pansexual Deadpool, is it? Where it's like, oh, yeah, he's totally pansexual, but it's, you know, never mentioned. But I, I hope not. I, I have a feeling that Joe wouldn't have put it out into the world uh, if that wasn't something she was okay with exploring and ready to explore should the opportunity arise. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think especially looking at the, the tone of Fantastic Beasts, it really does read as an adult movie. Um, so I don't think mm-hmm. there'd be as much hesitation um, around exploring that. Um, right, right than maybe if it was, you know, the original Harry Potter series. But I think when it is explored, I think it's going to be more about the pain and the betrayal that came afterwards more than anything, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're at that point, that the biggest way I see this happening is I see them, like, getting into their big showdown fight and, like, Dumbledore, like, they're fighting and Dumbledore's, like, Kiss me, giving a speech. No, No. but Dumbledore's like, Dumbledore's like, why are you doing this? Like, I loved you, you know. Like, and maybe they like get into a a verbal argument as well as a physical. Oh my god! If he said I loved Um, you, the world would explode. (laughs) I would explode. (laughs) And. Uh, like what I'm thinking of a scene in something oh I'm thinking of Star Wars <laughs> I'm thinking of I don't know you anymore you're going to a place I can't follow you know um, you're breaking my heart <laughs> yeah I'm thinking of Padme to Anakin um and that's how I almost see this coming up I I don't know that that's where I see it coming up in this but the reason I don't think it fits into why she didn't put it into Harry's story is because it's Harry's story and that information, the whole reason we have Dumbledore's backstory is so can, Harry can work through those emotions of Dumbledore wasn't perfect. Mm. He didn't tell me this. I'm not quite sure if I know him. So he can work through that doubt and make that decision on his own to continue the mission. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't necessarily need everything in Dumbledore's background, but we got enough deep nuggets in his background to set to knock Harry off balance if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I do agree. I think um you know, if if as much as I wanted it and I think it could be totally justified to be included because of yeah. how it interacts with Dumbledore's backstory, you do run the risk of derailing the plot. So, um you know, logistically I understand why it was cut because it really doesn't 
you know, unless Harry has some sort of epiphany for Ron, I'm not sure how that's going to be <laughs> particular. Voldemort, you know, <laughs> how that's going to be particularly useful oh, information gosh. to him. Um, I'm spanning so many fanfics. I can just hear them starting <laughs> yeah. being typed. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that Harry would choose Ron if he had to choose anybody. Just, yeah, that's true. I'm not sure he would choose Ron. <laughs> But forever pining for Cedric Diggory um so yeah I uh, <laughs> so I understand you know it's, it's really not legit it's logistically it's just not possible because it would derail the story and it's in really no way helpful to Harry over you know overcoming Voldemort so yeah I think I think as far as removing it she she has a pretty good you know justification as to why but I think it is definitely going to come up in Fantastic Beasts I think it's going to have to um because it's such I think a motivation I mean Dumbledore even says, I think that's why it took me so long to go confront him, is because of everything that happened that summer with Ariana, with his, with their plans. Um, and I mean, I think there's a hint there of Dumbledore's own feelings. He couldn't face them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's it's definitely going to come up and it's definitely going to be a major part of that story when we see it from this perspective that we're going to see in the next few years. Plus, I feel like the general public would be really, 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 times a thousand, pissed if that wasn't explored because Dumbledore is such an iconic character and um, yeah. he stands for for so many things that are, are just and beautiful in the world. Granted, he is not a perfect character and we, w- we will obviously get there, but... He uh, he is a figurehead for for a lot of people, and he does stand for a lot of things that are right. And I think that uh, the world in general would be really pissed if he wasn't openly gay in the movies. Um, you know, when we do eventually see him, which we assume we're going to. Um, so I I still wonder about openly though, because if we're thinking of the time period, well, openly not... for Dumbledore, and don't forget the yeah, Wizarding okay. World as Joe has said, doesn't care about that stuff. Yes, that's true. So that's that obviously very different than wherever, whatever time zone and uh, country we are in at that time. Because, yes, uh, yeah. being being gay 100 years ago is very different than it is now. Never mind even 15 years ago. It's very different. So Yeah. Dumbledore's, you know, as I mentioned, he is a, a kind of figurehead for uh, a lot of people use him as... A positive force, I suppose, when they're thinking about things. And I thought it would be really fun if we had a look at some of Dumbledore's most famous quotes and the ones that felt... uh, What I want to do is I want to read a quote and then I want to explore what part of his life or his past may be feeding this quote because he's very insightful and he's definitely one of those people because of everything that he has gone through. He takes everything that he has learned and the pain and the joy, what little joy he's had, and really puts it into uh, his present and his future to help himself learn more about himself and the people around him. So I thought if we examined the quotes through the lens of Dumbledore's current and past, uh, it, it could be really insightful and kind of fun. Since we've definitely never done this type of thing before, we'll see how it goes. But uh, the first one here is quite literally from the first page of the first book. And the quote eh, is... It's a couple pages in. Oh, is it? Oh, it's just the first yeah. chapter. I was remembering the uh, the bibliography for it and only listed the chapter, not the page. My fault. And the quote is, 
Voldemort had powers I will never have. And obviously the obvious one is magic. But what else? What else can Dumbledore be talking about? I think he's talking about death. (laughs) I'm going to be really morbid this whole time because looking at almost all of these, I think a lot of them, I think one of the most formative things of his life was Ariana and her death and his realization that came with that. Um, And that whole summer of searching for the Deathly Hallows, of making these plans for the greater good. And I think that's part of this. I think even at this point, that early, I think Dumbledore knew somehow Voldemort was messing with powers of mortality. And he was trying to find a way to come back. And I think he at least hypothesized, and he wasn't sure what it was yet, but I think he at least hypothesized Voldemort will be back. Voldemort is not dead, even though it seems to everything, all sense of logic, he should be dead. Um, And so that's the power I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about Voldemort's, he's guessing Voldemort has this power over death, but Dumbledore has never had that kind of power over death. He couldn't save his mother. He couldn't save his sister. Um, He couldn't unite the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, he couldn't unite the Deathly Hallows. I think... Dumbledore doesn't even think he'll ever be able to save himself. I think from a very... This is weird. Wow. I've never put this into words before. I think Dumbledore thinks he's doomed from the very beginning. I think he has... I get the sense that I can... I mean, I can talk about as why as we go through. I get the sense that especially as this war was happening... Dumbledore knew he was going to be a fatality in this war, and so he was building up everything he possibly could to then take down Voldemort with him. Yeah, I think um, I definitely agree with what you said, and I think sort of stemming on from that, talking a bit outside of magic, even just the referring to his conviction in his mission, I imagine, you know, there were plenty of times Dumbledore hummed and hard and doubted what he was doing, particularly with the nature of, of the acts he was doing and how they affected other people. Um, and that level of conviction from Voldemort, I don't think, can be underestimated. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of the, the contingencies he had in place to make sure that it, it came through. Because I'm, I'm sure Dumbledore didn't have the level of, not confidence, but yeah, I think conviction is the right word in um, and steadfast steadfastness to to reach the goal that that Voldemort had and you know being willing to sort of burn everything in your path to get to what you want um is not something I think Dumbledore has and I think that probably intimidates him hmm okay so basically he doesn't have the cojones that Voldemort has (laughs) uh to go down the path of uh least resistance basically hmm that's one way to put it yeah (laughs) Maybe he the arrogance to think, which I mean he could be seeing from a different perspective. He could be seeing it as confidence or something else. But the the arrogance to feel so assured in his plans. Yeah, and I think that okay. that probably intimidates him. So then, okay, thinking about that, keeping that in our mind, uh, the second quote here, also from uh, Philosopher's Stone. It says, the truth is a beautiful and terrible thing, 
and should therefore be treated with great caution. Ariana. Okay, Definitely. not everything can be about Ariana, or is it? No, 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 it's, it's not. This, just, this one just <laughs> happens to really shout at me, because when he's talking to Harry later, and he says, again, when he's talking about why he took so long to go confront Grindelwald, and he says, I think I was afraid of the truth. I was afraid to know which of us actually killed her. And that's where I think that comes from, is the truth of who killed his sister would have set him free in some ways, I think. But I think it also was such a... there. It was a toss-up. It either would have set him free, I think, and made him feel a little bit less guilty. Or if it had been him, he would have felt so entirely guilty by that truth that I think it would have utterly destroyed him. So the truth is going to be one of these two things in that situation for him, and I think he starts approaching all sense of truth that way and so <laughs> okay so then what he's, does he's that, careful about where it comes from then what does that you know? say about him in regards to harry that he couldn't tell him the truth for so long knowing i mean you can't say that quote and then keep things from harry for five more years which is what he does I think you can. I think that actually feeds right into that way of thinking. If he holds the truth in such high regard and it needs to be treated with great caution, then mm. I think he, he may see it as, you know, like dropping a, a bomb on Harry, you know, like that it's it's this great weapon that needs to be treated with treated with respect in the same way that he sees love as a weapon. You know, the truth is a very powerful thing and he needs to be careful and think through the options before he goes um, you know, shooting his mouth off with things that he, he can't take back. Um, so I think, it, I think it actually does feed into that mindset of why he kept things from Harry so much because he was so cautious about when to let things out because he knew the impact the truth would have. Hmm. How, I mean, don't we think that the truth could have helped Harry if he had oh, known yeah. sooner? Duh. Absolutely. But Sorry, that was... That was- that sounded kind of rude. Yes, I definitely think it could have, but I also don't think Harry was ready for it. And I don't think Dumbledore thought think, that way. I think that he, you know, so someone with such tight control over the strings, he, he wanted to think through and probably had a lot of doubt about what he told Harry. Um, so I absolutely think that the truth could have helped him, but I don't think Dumbledore necessarily saw it that way. So then let's pretend for a minute, we're, we're going to jump back, pretend that Dumbledore is J.K. Rowling in this instance. Um, how how does her decision to keep these secrets from Harry and ultimately from us how does that how does that change what how does that impact how we read and how we think about Dumbledore's choices in this moment? I think it 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 goes back to kind of subverting the mentor archetype. The mentor is just supposed to kind of drop in dispel wisdom, tell you what's going on, and then go. And he comes in and he tells part of the truth, and we think we have the whole picture, because we're trusting him as the mentor archetype to give us the whole picture, but then we find out he doesn't. And I think that it makes us question everything else then. What does he know? What does he not know? What, what is Harry going to know? How is Harry going to deal with this information? 
Okay, so do we know enough about Gandalf? So we can talk we can talk about him for a moment. Yeah, uh, obviously there are obvious comparisons there d- besides the whole, you know, they're tall and thin and wear robes and are wizards, whatever. Because Gandalf kind of does the exact same thing. And Allison, you were talking about kind of the archetype. Are, are they essentially the same character? I think Dumbledore's a little bit more instrumental in the rest of the plot. Hmm. Okay. Because when you look at the hero's journey cycle, like the actual cycle, the mentor comes in quite early and then is kind of gone, usually. And that's kind of what Gandalf does. He comes in, he gets them started, he gives them the information they need to know at that moment, and then he's gone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he pops back up later. But in actually, not in a different character cycle, I think, though, more than Frodo's hero cycle. But Dumbledore is there throughout the whole thing. And he's kind of what Harry bases a lot of his choices on. And so that's why he become, it beca- he becomes almost even more important at the end of the cycle, where Harry's going up to his biggest challenges, he's going up to his lowest points, and now all of a sudden what he's built the rest of the steps in his hero's journey cycle on, which is Dumbledore in a lot of ways, Mm. and what Dumbledore has told him starts to shift and he feels like it's crumbling beneath him. And so it it completely unseats Harry at a point where he should be like going in for the the final battle, you know? And it shakes up the whole pattern. Right. Which is an interesting thing to do for something that follows it so closely everywhere else. Yeah, it was definitely a twist when she ended up killing off Dumbledore and then brought him back in this interesting and new way, which I'd certainly never experienced in a series before. Yeah, because he's not quite, he's not quite Gandalf coming, actually coming back, you know? Right. He's just... A learned version uh, of his own portrait, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's just kind of a, a... um, I can't even think of the word. Wow, I can't think. He's of a shadow of him has, of his former self. Yeah, basically. yeah. The next one's an interesting one. I wasn't quite sure if I should include it in here because it doesn't. Oh, okay, I'll I'll just say it. This is also um, no. Sorry, this is Chamber. So he's talking to uh, the minister. It says, "I want it understood, Cornelius, that Hagrid has my full confidence." And to me, Dumbledore, you know, as we know, trusts very few people fully and completely. Obviously, Snape is one of them for reasons we know. Hagrid is another, and I would say probably McGonagall, although she do- obviously he doesn't tell McGonagall or Hagrid most of the things that Snape knows. Um, so what is it about Dumbledore's character and his personality and his past, I suppose, that allows him to trust people because I, I don't know if I had been through what he went through. I, I think I'd have a hard time caring about anybody, quite I honestly. Do, I do wonder if it's um, not 
so much a matter of like genuine trust, but rather Dumbledore's confidence in his ability to control their actions. Um, mm. So ah. you look at people like McGonagall and Hagrid, they're very loyal people. Um, and he reads that in their personality. So he can trust the fact that they will act a certain way, not necessarily that he will trust them with information or, you know, his own personal um, story. So I think that's kind of how, just in the context of Dumbledore as a greater character, um, I read that. I think it helps highlights how Dumbledore sees people. Because mm. I think he frowns at Fudge when he says this, doesn't he? And so I think it, it highlights, okay, Dumbledore trusts Hagrid, but he obviously doesn't trust the ministry, the supposed authorities, the supposed people who are supposed to be in charge, um, which is often a theme in Rowling's writing of having some skepticism of who people in authority, of what people in authority tell you. Um, but... I think it, this one just really highlights the difference between Fudge and, and Dumbledore, too, in some ways, where Fudge says, well, we have to do something. And Dumbledore says, okay, but you're not doing the right thing. Like, you shouldn't just do something just to do something. Mm, right. That doesn't work. That doesn't help. You need to be doing something for the purpose of actually trying to solve the problem. Right. Which might come from his search of the hallows where he talks and what he learned from that because he talks about here's why mm. he talks about we knew we needed the wand because that was supposed to be powerful a powerful weapon we wanted the stone to create an army on Grindelwald's side and to take responsibility from Dumbledore um, and then he says in the cloak we never really thought about it we only just thought about it because you needed to put them together so they weren't looking for the cloak for the right reasons. Mm. And so they didn't succeed, I think. And when he finally got the cloak, he didn't have it for the right reasons. And so he didn't succeed. Huh. And so I think it, it kind of goes into that idea of what are you doing and what is the intent behind it? And how does it help get us to a certain point? Wow, Allison, that was so deep. I didn't expect to get that from that <laughs> quote about Hagrid. <laughs> I didn't expect that to come out of me. Wow. Um, wow. 20 points to Hufflepuff. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. I think the next quote that I want to bring up is probably one of his most famous. And uh, mm-hmm. this is the book one, remember, not the adapted one for the film. And the quote is, you think the dead we loved ever truly leave us? You think that we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble? Okay, this one can be about Ariana. But can it also be about his mom? <laughs> yes. Because I really, I think yeah, I really think that this one is about Kendra a lot. And, and I think that as much as he loved his sister... I think that he had some unresolved issues with his mother that I think he regrets the fact that he never got to uh, deal with those issues, I think. And this quote always makes me think of of Kendra when I hear it and listen to it in the uh, under the Dumbledore umbrella, so to say. It, it makes me 
think of just how tough it must have been for him after his mother died. And I wonder if, I mean, I'm sure he went home, he tried to take care of Ariana, and I, I'm sure in those first that first while when it was so hard and he didn't know what he was doing and he didn't have his mother's guidance and she had been doing it quite, I mean, she'd been doing it, she'd been succeeding for years at that point. And then all of a sudden he was there, he didn't know what he was doing, this wasn't what he thought he was supposed to be doing, and I think that was a time of great trouble. And so he started trying to draw back on his mother and what she had done and how how maybe how could he channel that to help take care of his sister at that time. And I think that probably stayed with him forever. I mean, how could it not, right? Yeah, I mean, that that's why he goes looking for the resurrection stone, right? That's why he wants it. He wants it so his parents can come back and that burden will be lifted from him in some way. Does his father die in Azkaban? Refresh my memory. I think so, yeah. Well, I suppose it's more of a... I see it as a reflection of um, Joe through um, Dumbledore as well. We, we know that there mm. are religious tones to the book and I think that's um, that's her coming through probably um, in one of the more stronger parts. Mm. Especially in regards to her mother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's that's uh, I think that's very valid here. And this is a great example of Dumbledore speaking for Joe, I would say, and vice versa. So uh, the next one is a fun one. Uh, very interesting. I think I know what y'all are going to say about it, but we'll see. The quote is, <laughs> curiosity is not a sin, but we should exercise caution with our curiosity. Go for it. Not even going to set you up because I know what you're all going to say. <laughs> Someone else go oh. first because I'm just, I'm going to be a broken record. <gasps> it's the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> Jazz hands. Um, <laughs> I just, I think that's, how does, how does Aberforth say he got swept up in the vision? of hunting for hallows, of being this great leader, of this whole fantasy of he and Grindelwald, leaders of the wizarding world, of the whole world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he became curious into what it was they should do with that, why they should do that, what Grindelwald's plans were. Um, and that led him to quite a bit of trouble. <laughs> so See, along the same vein, for me, I think that this is more about uh, the curiosity in a person and letting yourself be swept up in yeah. the love of somebody else and losing your identity because you take on everything that that other person loves. And you're doing it because you're so curious and you want to be a part of their world so bad that you're harming yourself even though you you don't realize that you're doing it. And that's something that's incredibly scary. I mean, to me anyway. I mean, what I'm getting from all these quotes is just how incredibly cautious Dumbledore is and um, how much his his past has sort of shaped the way he approaches life, um, that everything needs to be thought through and... Um, calculated before 
before he can make a decision. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to think about when you think about he was a Gryffindor at school. And Gryffindors are usually a bit more, they're a bit more reckless, you know? Um, And so it's almost like he went from, I can just see him going from being this reckless Gryffindor in his school days, this major life event happening, and him just going all the way to the other extreme of calculate, analyze, plot out, manipulate everything instead of because you don't want to get to the point he was at that that summer. And he does not want to be that anymore. So I, I will always maintain that Dumbledore is a Slytherin because <laughs> he fits it so perfectly, in my opinion. Well, he, that is the opposite, right? It's kind of the opposite of Gryffindor, you know? It's the other side of the coin. And so he goes from... He just shifts over to... But um, it's funny to, to think of how there's this, you know, dichotomy between who he was and who he is of this, like, fun young boy that was, you know, borderline reckless and ready to go, you know, feet first, dive in feet first, and now he's, like, this, you know, wise old man that really has been hardened by his past and hardened by the world, and um, it's... I, I'm interesting, you know, to bring it back to Fantastic Beasts, how he's portrayed in the... in. The, um, if he is, you know, portrayed in the films and how he's, he's talked about in the films, if, if they're going to sort of highlight that um, that side of him that was perhaps more playful and more impulsive. I'm sure because, uh, as Allison said, it doesn't really, as far as we can tell, because we don't know much about his uh, personality as a younger man, that he was definitely more playful and open and free almost in a way before all of that happened. Um. Flashbacks, flashbacks. (laughs) (laughs) Which, that's actually a perfect segue into our next quote, because this next one, I really wanted to put in here because I think, I think it's gonna, it's good. It's a good one. And, uh, excuse me. And it's actually from Goblet of Fire, the end of the Goblet of Fire. The quote is such, remember Cedric, Remember, if the time should come when you have to make the choice between what is right and what is easy, remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember Cedric Diggory. So wait, let me let me reread this with some names changed, okay? Remember Albus. Remember if the time should come between uh, when you have to make the choice between what is right and what is easy. Remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the pass of Gellert Grindelwald. Remember Albus Dumbledore. Oh, snap. <laughs> Come on, how could that not be more no. about him? I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think it is, it's the antithesis of, that's the word I'm looking for, right? Yes. Um, it's, sorry. Sometimes I say words and I... It happens to the best of us, honey. It's okay. Anyway, it's it's the antithesis of the greater good. Of it's are what are you doing things for? And he's saying, remember this one boy who was all of this, but accidentally came across someone who was doing bad, and we could just leave this one boy as the let him go for the greater good but what would that do for us now
really just encapsulates that sort of, um, you know, how many innocents are lost and in times of war, especially when, you know, you do have the power to change things and it's it, it can be much easier to sit back and, and not make a decision. But you have to keep in mind, you know, and Harry in particular, who is known to follow his impulses and potentially um, make selfish decisions that he needs to remember, you know, that not everyone had the choice to involve themselves. Some people were just taken. Um, and I think that that's really important to remember when you're going through the seventh book in that some people don't don't have the option to involve themselves. Some people just get in the way and are essentially collateral. In that case, you could replace Cedric with Ariana. It, it gives a name, it gives a face to... Because if you read that letter in Deathly Hallows that Dumbledore writes to Grindelwald, anyone who might be this kind of collateral damage is just... They're nameless, they're faceless, they don't matter. The greater good matters more. But now, you put a name, you put a face to it, it's like... It's like there's psychological studies that show that um, soldiers in war and stuff, they, they have a harder time killing if they know details about the other side. Um, and anyone, really. I mean, if you get to know on a personal basis someone who's in, like, the other, the general other, from some point of view you have, it becomes a lot harder to hate, to dislike, to openly openly oppose. Mm -hmm. Not oppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's remembering the individuals that makes the difference. That makes you go for what is actually right. Hmm. Yeah, I've read uh, several studies actually uh, since you pointed that out that says that if you're in some sort of hostage or shooter situation that you should talk to the person and tell them facts about yourself you know how uh, your age and you talk about your family and you know your love and your pets and all that stuff because um yeah it, it personalizes it personalizes it so I do think that's funny that's I hadn't thought about that in the context of Ariana but I like it I like it I I hmm that changes that entire scene if you think about it as Dumbledore looking yeah. back at his own life, um, just as much as he's trying to remind everybody about Cedric. Because all it takes is one personal connection, I think. And then every your whole mind view changes, you know, your whole perspective changes. Uh, speaking of perspectives changing, let's, let's move on to uh, the next book here. We just have a few quotes left. And this one is Dumbledore speaking to uh, Lord Voldemort, Mr. Tom Riddle. And he says, You are quite wrong, Tom. Indeed, your failure to understand that there are things much worse than death has always been your greatest weakness. Go ahead. You can say it. (laughs) Everything goes back to this one event. Um... Is it is it easy for us to just make those connections or is it because that's the only part of Dumbledore Joe really gives us? I think that's it, honestly. Um, I think some of this could also be talking about the guilt Dumbledore feels from 
not only just this summer, but everything. The Order of the Phoenix, James and Lily, um, everyone who died from the Order in that first war, um, everything that went wrong up to that point. Even maybe he talks about, in this book, I think, he talks about one of his greatest weaknesses was he cared about Harry. Mm. So maybe even the fact of he looks back and goes, oh, crap, what did I do to this boy? Like, I left him in an abusive situation. I haven't given him much help in some cases. I've let him go into danger. Like, oh, dear. (laughs) I may have done some things that are bad. Um, And like I said, I think Dumbledore doesn't put much value on himself, on his own life. Mm. So the guilt and the problems he's caused for other people, I think, are things that he sees as worse than death. His own death he wouldn't care about. And he doesn't. He proves that. He proves that many exactly. times over. Yeah. Um, he doesn't care about his own life. He doesn't care about his own death. It almost makes me wonder if Dumbledore, listening to, especially listening to the last episode, if Dumbledore had some depression and maybe some suicidal tendencies. Oh, I, I don't think that's debatable. Feels... I think that's, yeah, that's real. Yeah, where it's almost that mindset of everyone would be better off without me Hmm. and so he's trying to set it up so that all the information he has that he's figured out can get out there so people can figure it out but then he's out of the way and not (coughs) sorry and not causing problems that he sees that he causes for other people and that i think is his his worse than death being a liability being causing pain and damage to other people's lives that I think he thinks even somewhere just in the back of his mind are better than him Hmm. as a person yeah I think Dumbledore lives with a lot of shame overwhelmingly is 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 what I get from him is that you know he's very ashamed of of not only his actions but who he is as a person because he feels that they've informed those actions um and I think this this conversation with Tom really separates the the difference between the two in that you know Tom Riddle can't remove himself from the equation you know he is at the center of his own universe it's it's almost like solipsistic whereas um Dumbledore almost can't see the value in himself except to serve other people in a way to um not feel so much shame so it's it's really quite a telling quote when you think about how they both view themselves within the world. I love comparing the two characters of Voldemort and Dumbledore because I feel like <laughs> they share the same views on so many things but mm-hmm. the ultimate way they go about uh, either reacting to them or implementing them is totally opposite. And I always find it so interesting um, to think about the two of them. Just like you were saying, Jess, you know, how uh, the way that they see themselves in the world. I'm not sure I'm getting my point across, but I know what I'm trying to say. So I guess that's what matters. (laughs) 
No, I think I think I get where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, Tom. Yeah. It's like Tom can only see, can, could never see himself in relation to others, um, whereas that's the only way Dumbledore sees himself. Um, I think going back to my earlier point of that, you know, the power that Voldemort has that Dumbledore doesn't is is again that that conviction within oneself that um, almost independence to view you know, my way is the right way and having the conviction to follow through with that, whereas Dumbledore really does see himself in relation to everyone else and what everyone else is doing and thinking and how it impacts them. Um, yeah, so I agree, Kat. It's, they, they have similar, similar um, views on what's wrong with the world but different ways of, of fixing it. Like the Trump v. Bernie of, <laughs> of Harry Potter. Oh yeah, I was just thinking that. That's so funny. Oh god. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Moving on from that before we get into that uh, terrible topic. Uh, the last one I want to bring up here, I think, is um, everybody says it. We we turn to it in times of tragedy and and all of this. And I think this one. Okay, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say. So the quote is this. Do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living, and above all, those who live without love. Now, given the context of everything that we've spoken about with, with Grindelwald and all that, Dumbledore, as far as we know, um, had unrequited love. As far as we know, Grindelwald did not return that to him. But Dumbledore had lots of other kinds of love. And he's very clearly speaking about himself a little bit here. He's also speaking about about Voldemort. Uh, I think he's also speaking of Snape in this moment. Even though Snape himself felt he had love, it was unrequited also in a way. Because uh, it was a very different kind of uh, feelings that Lily had for Snape. So... I'm really curious to see how you guys, uh, how you feel about this quote and what you think Dumbledore is truly talking about here. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is um, when Harry sees him after he's been hit with the Avada Kedavra with, um, by Voldemort, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, King's Cross, yeah. Yeah, yeah. King's Cross, so I actually yeah. read this not so much in a romantic love with, um, with Grindelwald, but more in a familial love with, um, with Ariana and his mother. So... You know, he, he's saying do not pity the dead and for all in, intents and purposes he is dead at this point. Um, and given what we know about Joe's religious beliefs, I think we can assume that he was reunited with Ariana and his mother, potentially his father in the afterlife. Um, so I think that that's more the way I read it. Was, wasn't really anything to do with Grindelwald. I think he would probably be past it at, at 100 and whatever years old. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all about living without that familial love which is what Voldemort never had um Voldemort never had that Voldemort's the one to be pitied because he never had that that love from from the family I agree with you um I don't man I I think he's saying something we all kind of know life can suck like life is hard um I mean Hamilton dying is easy young man living is harder um, it, it's, it's hard sometimes to keep going, but I think that's one of the things we learn from 
Harry Potter, it's what it's what Harry learns, is that it is love of all kinds that gets you up in the morning, that gets you through the day, that gets you through hard times. It's all kinds of love. It's romantic love. It's familial love. It's uh, friend, the love of friends. It's the love for the world you live in. It's the love for the future that you can see. Um, it's the love for people in the past. And there, it takes all kinds of love to get through something as hard as life. And you, sh I think he's saying pity everyone who has to go through that hard thing of life, but pity those especially who have an even harder time of it because they have no support network. They have no people out there who can hold them up when they feel like they can't hold themselves up. And the dead are past that. The dead don't have to worry about that anymore. But the living do. So then, and so then, love is the only thing that gets you through. So, upon first reading of this quote, we're all meant to believe that he's referring to Voldemort because Harry is looking at the Volda baby, the fetus, whatever that thing is. Um, <laughs> when Dumbledore first, you know, says this to him, and so, and we've talked about this before: is Voldemort or Tom Riddle is he pitiable? You know, is he a product of his environment and all of that? So going off of what you just said, Allison, like Tom Riddle had those things, um, but chose not to accept them. So, yeah, is he pitiable? And I mean, I know this is and this is in the context of Dumbledore. How how do we think Dumbledore looks at? Uh, if this is the way Dumbledore is suggesting people live and how Harry view others and, you know, kind of move forward with his life and the world. How how does Tom Riddle uh, and Voldemort fit into that? I think he does pity him, actually. I think it doesn't excuse anything he did, but I think there's some pity there. And I think Harry finds that pity, too. In that he offers a chance, he offers a choice to turn back and accept it. But Tom Riddle won't. But Tom Riddle had and that so support Harry... system. He did have exactly. love from some people. and he. But he pushed it away. Mm -hmm. And so Harry offers him that choice at the end. He says, feel, accept everything around you. But Voldemort won't do it. He pushes it aside. And so I think I think Harry's got some pity for him. I mean... Yeah, and I think there's, um, you know, there's two sides to love, isn't there? There's someone that has to be willing to give the love and you have to be willing to receive that love. And I think that's probably something Dumbledore struggled with later in life. Um, and I think I think that's where the pity come from, comes from, that he doesn't have the capacity to to feel love like to feel worthy of love um both um Dumbledore to an extent but but Lord Voldemort he just he can't he doesn't have the capacity to feel that because he doesn't see himself he he doesn't you know think of other people's opinions or thoughts or feelings 
when it comes to himself he he just doesn't have that that capacity and i think the pity comes from i think we um the, the other quote that's on here um speaking of segues about being able to to love despite everything that's happened to you Voldemort doesn't have that anymore. He he was burned pretty badly by life in the beginning, and um, he just he doesn't have that that place in in his soul anymore to to receive love. And I think that's that's where the pity comes from, not being able to physically accept that love. And that's really sad. Do we think Dumbledore still has that capacity? I think that's probably very wilted. Um, if it is in there, and I think yeah, I think that's probably why he. <sighs> He he does pity Tom because he can see himself in him. There's a lot of, like we talking about before, there's a lot of comparisons you can make between Voldemort and Dumbledore. And I think that's probably something he struggles with as well, is the the ability to feel worthy of, of love in, in any form it comes in. Do we think that that's mostly because of Ariana? Or his mother? Grindelwald? Where do we think that, that uh, shame, almost, and unworthiness comes from well yeah it's it's sort of hard like we talked about before are we making these analogies because you know that's all we we have on on Dumbledore is is his time with Ariana and um and what happened with his mother so it is it is rather difficult to make that that leap I think as, as to why he might feel that sort of shame but I think it probably plays a big part in it um I mean he's a a massive overachiever and he never seems to, <laughs> to put it lightly, and he, he never seems to sort of gloat or feel um, any, not pride. I think he does feel, he'll feel pride in his achievements. You can see the way it comes through and sort of some of the ways he winks and jokes about things. Um, but he, he never really has that, that arrogance that can often come with with being so smart and so well accomplished. And I think if he, if he was kind of arrogant, he'd probably be a bit justified in being so. Um, so I think it, it probably is a result of what happened with Ariana and his mother. And he's kind of spent his entire life trying to make up for that. Um, and he, he doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's never something that goes away until in death he, he sees them again and he's alleviated of that guilt. He should have allowed himself to, I guess, forgive himself much, much earlier, yeah. much earlier in life. Yes, and I, I completely think that. And I think that would have shaped the way he maybe handled Harry and that if he could forgive himself for what he did, he wouldn't see the need to have such tight control over everything and then maybe would mm. have let Harry in a bit more on the truth and to work things through with him rather than trying to figure it out all out inside and then delegate as see fit. So yeah, I'd agree with that. In I guess in that context. Hmm. Huh. Wow. When you really pile all of this on top of each other, it gets very heavy. Um, <laughs> but in, a, but in a very, uh, almost kind of beautiful way until you put Harry into the equation because Dumbledore, the choices that he made as as we talked about and have been talking about directly affected Harry's entire experience at school outside of school everything that happened with uh with Lord Voldemort ultimately I don't know how I feel about the way Dumbledore handled that whole situation you know um how long it took him to tell Harry certain things and 
uh, how he omitted certain things and and we'll get there in a minute but I really want to talk about um, Harry keeping uh, I mean uh, Dumbledore keeping Snape's secret for so long I don't personally know if that was the right choice I don't know you guys have thoughts on that as much as I don't like Snape as much as I don't think it was really love I think Dumbledore owed him that much to be able to keep that secret that was important I think Mm -hmm. and I think that was a it was a sign it was a sign that Dumbledore could find something good even in Snape Hmm. and he would hold on to that and not just let it out to everyone because I think that would taint it somehow for both Snape and Dumbledore in that you are trusting me with this so we can have a little back and forth of I will trust you with something great as well. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it was kind of like uh, Dumbledore is keeping the secret almost as a little talisman for himself as well. Yeah. Maybe he got some inspiration from it. Of love, even unrequited love, or love that you feel is love that maybe the other person doesn't, can still help you do great things. And people don't have to know about that necessarily. Hmm. But your own personal in. Uh, motivation can come from that. Can come from anywhere, really. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> okay, since we've brought, since we have Snape in the conversation now, I'll, I'll we'll just go there. <laughs> time and time again, we forgive Dumbledore for his shortcomings. And yet, at least most of the hosts on this show, I can't speak for everybody, of course, has a hard time forgiving Snape for his. What is it about Dumbledore? About either the way he carries himself or interacts with people or his past or whatever that allows us to feel more mm, empathy and goodness from him that allows us to continue to let him off the hook. And not everybody obviously lets him off the hook, but um, the majority of us, I would say, kind of overlook Dumbledore's faults because of his past. Whereas, uh, I don't know, maybe it's 50-50 with Snape. Regardless of how you feel about, you know, the goodness of the things Snape did for... Um, for the war and for the order, he was still mean. Like, he was still really yeah. mean to yeah. children. Um, and I, we never see an example of that from Dumbledore. We only ever see Dumbledore, you know, nice and polite or, you know, ferociously passionate about defeating a dark wizard. Um, and I think that's why it's, it's, you know, the same thing that we find likable about each other is that and people around us is that you know are they nice it it really comes down to that are they 
a good person um, at their at their core, um, as opposed to just their actions and what are their intentions behind their actions. So I think that's why people, you know, feel feel they can give Dumbledore a pass and maybe hold Snape to a, a slightly stricter standard. I think, yeah, I definitely I agree with that. That's why I can't, I don't forgive Snape because he let his bitterness eat at him so much that it turned him into a terrible person and he was horrible to other people. Whereas Dumbledore might have been a little bit more productive with the shame and guilt he felt and didn't let it turn into that kind of bitterness. And instead he projected it outward in a more way of, okay, I'm going to use this as a motivation to rid the world of this evil then. Um, Rather than letting it fester inside of him and turn into Snape's kind of bitter, angry, dark outlook on life, which then shoots out of him. Um, Sorry, I just realized... I'm sounding like a certain something in this description um, and, so, and letting it kind of explode out of him and uh, just be nasty, you know, to people around him. I don't know whether I'm where this came from or whether I've just made it up in my head or whether it was something I saw on Tumblr. I don't know. But there was like a nice little quote about Neville, you know, and it's when he was a teacher and, you know, he would always treat Scorpius Malfoy with respect and be kind, despite the fact that his, his, you know, father was awful and bullied him or something to that effect. And, And I think that that's sort of a perfect example of what we wanted to see from Snape and what would forgive him if he was just, if he could separate his own, his own issues and actually treat his students the way that they deserve to be treated as individuals um yeah so i'll play devil's advocate advocate for a moment here um because everybody who listens to this show knows how i feel about snape is snape (laughs) did snape do what he did more for the greater good than dumbledore because Dumbledore, oh, no. hold on, hold on. Dumbledore, in a way, is doing everything that he did completely out of guilt. And is Snape not doing it? Uh, obviously, he's doing it um, because of his love or whatever he had for Lily. But also because Dumbledore is asking him of, of is asking that of him. You guys know what I'm trying to get at here is are are their intentions a little a little backwards here yet almost the same in their difference. I don't think so because I think when Dumbledore uses his guilt it's not necessarily to redeem himself. I feel like Snape when he uses his guilt and decides he's going to do this it's he somehow thinks he is redeeming himself in Lily's eyes then. Mm. Whereas Dumbledore, I think, is looking more towards the future. And he's not saying, how do I redeem myself? He's saying, how do I make the world better for the future? And how to do that is to get rid of this evil. But Snape is looking too much in the past. And that is where their biggest difference there comes from. But they're both letting their pasts inform their current and future decisions. 
Yes, they're both being driven by it, but I think it's it's what they're trying to change by that drive from the past. And I think Snape in a lot of ways is trying to change the past and something that he can't change. But Dumbledore is instead saying the past is in the past. I'm going to change the future now. I'm going to make it better. Yeah, I would agree. Then, yeah. Yeah, I would would agree with that. And I think you've just got to look at the way that they that they act you know Snape isn't trying to make the world a better place if he was you know he'd start with himself he's in he's not trying to make the world a better place for for other people it's some weird selfish you know selfish reasoning that he wants to redeem himself in Lily's eyes like you said Alison but um I think Dumbledore approaches it more that how do we ensure this doesn't happen again um to for like you said for the future more so than specifically related to him trying to prove that he was worthy to be Ariana's big brother or something like that. Okay, so then does Dumbledore end up being more helpful in his death? Is Did he almost create more problems with everything he tried to do in life and kind of when he just let himself be and let his story and let Harry discover who he was without um, without mitigating the problems or trying to, to lead the narrative in a certain direction. Was Dumbledore then more helpful after that point? That's where I um I kind of blur the lines between like why Dumbledore kind of confuses me a little bit. Um, because he, he seems to sort of blur the lines between being too involved and being you know, completely detached from Harry. Um, so do I think he, he helped the situation more in his death? No, um, because I think he went about it incorrectly from from the get-go. Um, and I, it's, it's really a con- yeah, confusing part of, um, of the way Dumbledore interacts with Harry where, where he almost gives him like little glimmers of being almost like a father figure to him. And then completely separates himself and says, "No, we must stick to the mission." And um, I can't get too too attached to this boy. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't really. I no, I don't think he he helped things by by dying. But um, maybe in the context of how he had handled things up to that point, it might it might have helped Harry grow as a person. Which I think is what the death more served to do is that. Harry got to grow as a person and reaffirm his belief in Dumbledore's mission separate of the influence of Dumbledore. But I think that's more of a a narrative device than anything, you know, within the story of, of Dumbledore. I think Harry got the truth, the real truth, faster afterwards. Um, but I think the reason Harry was ready for it in some ways was he had lost his last kind of crutch of that adult who could help him give him guidance and so once he lost Dumbledore he lost that last someone he could turn to for help and guidance and so he just had to step up and be ready to take whatever the truth was gonna be the complete truth and deal with it. And I think he finds that hard for a while in Deathly Hallows. Um, He finds it 
difficult to not have someone who can lead him and guide him and but Harry has to lose that and he has to step up in order to complete the mission in order to destroy Voldemort. I don't know if I would say Dumbledore was necessarily more helpful than in death, but I think he had to die for Harry to be able to complete what he had to do. Right, J- just as Sirius and Hagrid and ultimately uh, Lupin, Fred, just uh, all of those people fueled Harry's inner fire so to say, and gave him the strength and bravery that he needed. Because as much as Harry was brave, uh, doing what he ultimately did was uh, probably more than any Gryffindor has ever had to handle. Ever. No, not probably. Definitely. Most definitely. Um, Yeah. hmm. So ultimately, um, Dumbledore... Closing thoughts. Are we... I know we're all very excited <laughs> to... Uh, moving forward to look back, so to say, and get to see more aspects of Dumbledore uh, in the Fantastic Beasts films, hopefully. Um, you know, we'll get a chance to finally see him. But how do we feel about this book, Dumbledore? This Dumbledore that we see. There's, there's quite a divide in the fandom. A lot of people really worship him and love him and a lot of people think that he was just a total jerk so uh, i'm somewhere in between still i'm not quite convinced he was 100 percent um good for harry he was definitely more good for harry than bad for harry but in a lot of ways there's a lot of things he could have done differently that would have been helpful to harry not just in his journey but in life yeah i would agree i think that i think that's what um the Harry Potter series does so well is rarely do we come across a character that is completely one-dimensional. Um, I think Dumbledore is probably one of the most multi-layered characters in the whole um, in the whole series. And you know, I definitely agree with you, Cat. I'm somewhere in the middle, and I don't think that he should be worshipped blindly or despised entirely. Because I think that the answer is somewhere in, in the middle as, as most of us are and Joe does such a wonderful job of, of humanizing issues throughout the Harry Potter series and I think it's a, a good reminder um, to readers and a good lessons to readers to keep that in mind when when judging people is that people have reasons for why they do things and um, you know should that be taken into account when you're when you're judging them probably um, so yeah I, I definitely lie somewhere in the middle as well with with uh, where Dumbledore sits. He fascinates me still. Um, and I think, like you said, it's it's a reason I think we keep going back to him is because he's so multi-layered. I mean, he becomes such a real person because of, he's so layered. I mean, you see, you can see, it's almost like looking into an actual person's eyes, you know? That he's so layered, but we don't quite know everything, but you can you start peeling back these bits and he's so gray. And I think that's such a masterpiece of writing that here we have this figure who is the mentor. He is the one Harry looks up to. He is the wise hero of our hero, you know? 
And yet we see that he's so human. He's so... He's building things off of experience and a hard life. And yet he's looking for... He's trying to build something else in the future. And it's so... It's such a beautiful thing. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm always... I'm just so fascinated by Dumbledore. Because of this. It's, it's funny. Every time you say Dumbledore, I, you could just insert J.K. Rowling into there. And everything you just said would be That's so true. valid. Um, That's true. And maybe I should take a lesson then and <laughs> learn, remember your heroes are human, <laughs> too. I could probably apply that to you, to her, not to you, to you, Joe. Yes, to you, Joe. I could apply that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, she Obviously, she's listening. <laughs> she just answered another question of ours about apparition. So, obviously, she's listening. But she did? Yeah, on Twitter. I feel like she had already answered when? it. I don't know. It wasn't that long. She didn't answer when? us directly. No, I know. It was but a like, question about inter uh, intercontinental apparition. Oh yeah, but we knew that already. Yeah, I had a feeling that we did. So I think he's one of the the masterpieces that mm. come from these books, and I think Dumbledore is one of the reasons why these books are going to last the test of time. Here, here, I agree with that completely. No matter what you think of him, pretty much everything he says can be applied to some part of your life. <laughs> in some way yeah. <laughs> well positive experience a negative experience a, a a relationship whether loving or um abusive which i think probably not probably definitely in a way the one with grindelwald was um mm-hmm. ultimately no matter how dumbledore felt about it so i feel like we could most certainly have 12 more episodes on dumbledore that were five <laughs> hours long and we'd never run out of things to say i'm looking forward to discussing him again and also really hearing what the listeners have to say because we unpacked a lot here there's a lot of information a lot of um a lot of quotes and a lot of things to discuss and hopefully you guys come up with some well not hopefully i know that you will come up with some really cool rebuttals to some of the things we said today but as we're gonna let you go off to do that go get on your computers and type we just want to thank jess for joining us today thank you so much for all of your thank input. you for having me it was a pleasure Oh, good. We're so glad. Uh, we love having listeners yes. on the show. And it's, it's, you know, I remember when we first started, we were like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? It's going to be so hard. And w- what if we don't find, you know, what if everyone who calls in isn't interesting and has nothing to say? But everybody is always so wonderful. And Jess, you are absolutely no exception. So we thank you very much. Absolutely. No, for sure. Too kind. And I would encourage if you're like to listeners, if they're considering doing it and they're not sure, Definitely do it because I was one of those people. I've been listening to Alohomora like since the very beginning of Alohomora years and years ago, and it's taken me till now to finally do it. Um, so I definitely encourage everyone to apply. Oh, thank you. Good because we yeah. hear that a lot. Like, oh man, I really want to be on, but I'm so scared. It's just having a conversation with friends. That's all. And then other friends listen to it. That's all. And I guess speaking of snakes, we are. Um, our next topic is one we've all been really looking forward to. It's going to be so much fun. I don't know. I'm, it's, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be the first in a series of episodes because there's no way we can only do this topic once. Uh, no. And it's sortings, guys. So uh, we are going to be talking about the sorting process and the sorting hat and probably some characters. Um, so definitely be on the lookout for that. That will be out uh, in two weeks' time. 
But in the meantime, you know, uh, head over to alohamora.mugglenet.com. Leave your comments on this episode. And then you can hear your comments later on the recap episode. So go do that, please. If you want to join us on our sorting episode or any of our episodes that are upcoming, make sure you check out our Be On The Show page on alohamora.mugglenet.com. You can go up to our topic submit page and make sure you are suggesting some great topics for us to talk about. We want to talk about what you are interested in, what you want to hear us talk about, and we want you to join us. So you don't need anything fancy, just a set of headphones and a microphone and a recording program of some kind, and you are all set to join us. So let us know what you think join us and come talk to us yeah i mean i'm sure jess can vouch for how easy it was right super easy yeah there you go good girl we didn't pay her to say that just for the record um (laughs) in the meantime while you're contemplating your nerves uh and sending in an audition you can contact us on twitter at alohamoramn facebook.com slash open the dumbledore our website as you know it alohamora.mugglenet.com and don't forget you can always send us an owl over on audioboom at alohamora.mugglenet.com please keep your message under 60 seconds and you could hear yourself on the show and while you're on our website make sure you jump over to our patreon patreon.com slash alohamora where you can sponsor us for as low as one dollar a month and you keep us going so we want to thank everybody who has sponsored us. We are working through our list of sponsors for episodes. So you should hear your name soon. <laughs> and if you haven't, or if you haven't signed up to be a Patreon and want to hear your name, go there right now. Go sign up. Yes. And thanks again and to Lauren for sponsoring this episode. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, Yay. we are going to say adios, amigos. I'm Kat Miller. And I'm Allison Sigurd. Thank you for listening to episode 207 of Alohomora. Open the me, the Albus Dumbledore. again everybody out there in uh podcast land this is uh alohomora the that was really absolutely terrible <laughs> to start that over again. i don't know where i was going with that <laughs> it was so bad